Welcome to the Inbound Buzz podcast. My name is Moby Sadiq, and today I've got a special guest for you, uh, James McLean from Kids Club, who's uh, sitting in for our regular co-host, Tony. So before I get into it, uh, my guest today, he's worked for some of Australia's and the world's most well-known brands, including Fuji Xerox, Rio, Rioke, Rico, 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 yep. thank you, TurboSmart, and now is an extremely well-paid CMO at Kids Club Early Childhood Learning Centers. Jane McLean, Horton, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Inbound Buzz Podcast, your weekly jolt of all things digital and inbound marketing. Brought to you by redpandas.com.au. Now for your host and co-founder of Red Pandas, Moby Sadiq. Thanks so much for having me, Moby. Really appreciate it. And a wonderful intro. Yep. Well, I think Rick. I think it's good enough to keep and not do a second take. I think so. so. Rico, <laughs> Rico will be stoked about that one. A hundred percent, Rico. Yeah, yeah. Too, too too big for me. Anyway, James, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, one thing I should say out of the gate, in case this gets a little bit, we get a bit too free, is James and I have actually known each other for a really really long time. Yep. Uh, obviously, our kids club childcare is a client. James James is a client. But I'm happy to call him a friend as well. So if we start Likewise. Uh, swearing at each other or whatever, I know it's in jest and we've said much worse in private. Uh, but anyway, on that note, let me get straight into it. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what Kids Club is and, and what Kids Club does. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, you nailed it, CMO at Kids Club. Extremely well paid. I'd like to take that one up with our, uh, with our CEO. No, just joking. Um, the, uh, the, the business itself, uh, we really are, we're, we're what we consider a premium childcare service provider within the uh, early childhood education space. Um, and we do take that pretty seriously. You know, I think one of the things that we often get confused with is people say, oh, childcare. And I'm like, yeah, but it's really about that educational experience for the child. I think that when you talk to anybody in our business, we're really passionate about that. You know, we, this really is about creating a safe learning environment for children so that they can learn, develop, and grow. It's not just drop your child off, they get their nappies changed, fed a few meals, and then they get sent home. Mm. It really is they're coming in and, and they're learning essentially how to learn. Their first learning, their first professional learning experience, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there's a statistic somewhere that says that 90% of your physical brain development happens within the first five years of your life. That's a lot. Like you're, you're developing neural pathways and connectors and particular thought patterns and habits that will lead well into your later life. Um, so you can see like, you know, I'm, I'm the CMO, but this is something that I'm quite passionate about. This isn't just a, oh, this is another job. Too, obviously. Yeah, I've got a father. Uh, I've got, a, I do have a father um, and I've got three kids, um, you know, so one of the main inspirations for joining this business was to be closer to home from my last role. Um, but also I saw the impact that childcare had on my son um, and, and then later my daughter and then my third, uh, my second son, my third child. And I wanted to be a part of that. And that for me was, was something that really led me into this role. Um, and I guess when you, when you ask, what do I do? Um, yeah, I mean, marketing is the core of my, of my role there, but I also have a function in overseeing, uh, the, the sales team, uh, the customer service team and, and quite a bit of hands-on with the, um, I, I guess the maintenance of the systems and how they all connect to deliver a better journey for our new and our existing customers. And obviously, You've played a big part in that as well here at Red Pandas and helping us get that right and get that messaging all together. So, awesome, yeah. awesome. I'm sure we'll unpack some of that. Sure. Now, this is a bit of a, a long question, but answer it as, yep. as you may. <laughs> so Kids Club started from one childcare center and you spoke about some of that growth. Uh, now has 30 childcare centers, yep. almost 30 nationwide. Yep. What do you think has been the biggest contributor to that growth? What has helped you guys get there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, we're, we're, we're right on the cusp of opening up 30, 31 and 32. And, and my, 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 I might say in a short time too. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's easy enough to do that in 20 years, but that's been in three, four years. It's been pretty... Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, strangely enough, when I came on board, I don't know if you remember, but you were in my interview because, um, you know, obviously you had a very close history with the business and, and, and you had a lot of marketing expertise and I wanted to make sure they bring in the right person. And so I remember that first interaction with you. When I first started there, that was, we were at seven centers and that was three years ago. Um, and then with, within a very short time frame, we went from seven to, you know, just under 30. And we did that within 24 months. And then that we're also talking about this is during COVID times as well. So when a lot of, uh, you know, uh, businesses in our sector were suffering and struggling, um, you know, we, we had the same problems. We, we encountered the same issues. We weren't immune to what coronavirus did for the childcare industry, but we, we, essentially, uh, we, we essentially, I guess, weathered the storm probably a little bit better than some of the other players. Some of our competitors closed down, particularly within CBD locations where we managed to actually not only just stay open, but coming out of it really thrive. Um, I think the thing that, and we were talking about this earlier, I think the thing that really sets us apart is vision. Um, and I, I remember we were talking about this, but I can't remember the stat. And we were talking about like, you know, how unfortunate it is there's a lot of startups and within the first year, they just they just cease to exist. And I don't think that the 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 idea or the business or what they're trying to bring to the market is the problem because Obviously, when, when, you, when you develop a product, you've seen a need, generally speaking. You know that you feel as though this is something that can really be, I guess, sold into a marketplace. You see an opportunity and you want to go for it. I think, um, you know, one of, one of the things I've read before is that where, where they fail is in two areas, which is marketing. They don't think about how they're going to get their product to their audience. And if they do, they don't think about it in a way that is going to be, I guess, palatable for the audience to accept. But also, there's no vision so, you know, it's often, I'm going to start this business and what's my goal? A lot of times people can't really tell you. When you talk to our CEO, Corey Stone, one of the key things that he always talks about is the next vision. Mm. He's never afraid to say like, this is the next level of growth that we're going to. He's incredibly ambitious. And I think that that's, he's got an entrepreneurial mindset and it's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So give thing. us an example of that vision. Yeah, absolutely. When I started there, he said, we're going to have 30 centers in two years. And um, we, we effectively did. I'm now just coming up onto my third year. And now I'm hearing him talking about more growth. And he's setting new benchmarks. I don't want to go too much into them. But, you know, he, he's, a he, he's effectively setting the vision and the pace for the rest of the business. So when we think mm. about like growth, who's, who's at the forefront of it and who's leading it within your organization? And I think it's important for the senior leadership team to really set the pace for the rest of the business and to do it in a way that's like, this, guys, this is achievable and I'm going to bring you on the journey with me. I'm not just going to leave you behind. You're not the dead weight. You're, you're part of the vision. So you instill that vision into people and then they help you carry that vision to success. I think that's something that he uh, and, and you know, other members of the senior leadership team have done really, really, really well in being able to, I guess, plan for the future and drive the business forward in a really strong way. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that. Setting that pace, getting people on board and getting people excited about it. And it's the, it's yeah. the ownership. You know, it's not just like, oh, um, this is the vision and that's where we're going. It's like telling you, hey, well, not even telling you, it's, it's communicating. I hate that word telling, but it's communicating mm. with you about this is where we want to go. And then giving you key elements and pieces of the puzzle to say, like, see how, see how important you are to the journey. Mm. This is the purpose. Yeah. yeah. And look, that it's hard. It is hard in our industry. You know, right now we've got, 
a great number of challenges going on in the recruitment space. Um, there's lots of people that have left the industry, um, and it's it's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a corporate shuffle right now. So getting making sure you're engaging people on that journey, uh, it, it is becoming more and more important, and it's hard to translate. It, it is hard to translate, particularly from the top down. Yeah, amazing. I think some of that there's so much we can unpack there. Some of that we'll go back to. Mm-hmm. But what I want to talk about now, is, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you here. Mm-hmm is uh, you're a big believer of storytelling. And I love that, like storytelling in marketing, that emotive path to a rational decision like purchasing. And recently, and we'll link this in the show notes as well, some of the material, um, you came up with a campaign called Future Past, which we helped put on ads and whatnot, but you came up with a campaign. And I guess the question is, talk to us about the importance of storytelling in marketing, maybe reference the the Future Past campaign that you came up with. Yeah, sure. so I'll go. I'll go. Kind of go back a few steps. When I was working at, at Rico, um, I had the immense pleasure of being able to work with someone, and, and actually, just really amazing marketers. I, I was part of a really great team. Um, so shout out to the old Rico Demand Generation crew. Um, but in one of those campaigns, um, a campaign manager there actually brought in a guest speaker called Dr. Jason Fox, and he wrote this book um, called How to Lead a Quest, and I mean, not only is he a very enigmatic character and he's really exciting and engaging and like, uh, you know, he, he's the type of guy that would be in a suit and he's on a skateboard and he's, he's cool and he's kind of got this hipster feel, really but, centric, you yeah. know, yeah, but not in a way that you're like, oh, hipster. He's like, he's just very like, he's so engaging. Um, and, you know, he wrote this book and, and I think like, I'm, I'm really going to ruin or I guess bastardize what, what, what he was trying to say, but essentially he, he talked really about the power of storytelling and the fact that when, when, you're, when you're taking people on a journey, leading them on that quest, when you get them on the vision, they're more engaged. And that for me resonated in a, in a marketing message where I'm like, you know, obviously emotion is a big seller, right? When, when we talk about, okay, you, you know, it can either be very positive or very negative. Like, for example, I'm, I'm not, a, like my wife and I always joke about this. Um, I'm not a huge fan of one of the large commercial food chains because it's all in red and I don't like red. I don't necessarily hate their pricing because it's quite good, but I just don't like going there because I don't feel it's comfortable. Coles? I didn't want to say the name. <laughs> Am I allowed to say the name? Okay, what's Coles going to do? <laughs> Sorry, Coles. Great prices. <laughs> I, I love and my local Coles. Obviously, they're, James they're, will not be working at Coles. Yeah, look, no, look, one of the, their team's amazing. The prices are great. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I, I never liked the color red. And like for me, sorry, red pandas. I was going to say, I know, yeah. I was like, bang, get red pandas. <laughs> no, but like when, when, when I'm in, when I come into your environment, what do I say a lot of? Green. Green for me is a very calming color. The soft walls and like the wood grain finish, that's warming and inviting to me. Whereas when, when I see that. The dominant red everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it kind of like it, 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 it jars me. So I have a negative reaction. And it does influence my purchase decision making. Okay, so then if I want a positive experience, how do I create an emotion that is warming for, for a vast majority of people? You can't tick the box for everybody, but obviously for your customers, you need to. So when we were when we we're thinking about future past, I was like, I was going through this, and I actually started reading uh, Dr. Fox's book again. And I, I was really inspired by this idea of, right, how do I take the family on the journey? How do I explain to them, like I said right back at the beginning, we're not childcare, we're education. Like, and, and how do we create a journey of education for our families to show that we have a big impact on that child's life? You know, 
we secondary caregivers, and this is this is um, you know this is nothing um, this is nothing undocumented. I mean, there's plenty of studies out there that show the importance of a secondary caregiver and how it actually influences not only the learning of the child, their emotional development, and also their social skills. It, it, it has this massive impact on their later love of what, what they do in life. So what we're trying to do in this environment is create this love of learning. And if you've ever been to a kids club center or if you've ever visited one of our websites, one of the things you'll notice is that we have pretty crazy playscapes. We've got half cut Rolls Royces, we've got whole helicopters. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like a half cut wooden Rolls Royce. I mean, no, no. Our CEO goes out to an auction, buys a mint condition Rolls Royce and will cut it in half to turn it into a playscape for a child. He goes to aviation auctions and buys helicopters. We have an airplane in our Rosebury Center, um, a, a small single-engine Cessna, I believe. And we, we've created these immersive environments that really cause the children to engage with the playscape. What does that do? It creates curiosity. How do I convey that to the family? Mm. Future Pass was the idea of, right, we want to show where your child's future begins, which is our company tagline. We've often talked about what that means. But where your child's future begins here at Kids Club in this safe, warm, caring, educational environment that can help influence and impact the love of the things that they will carry later into life. And so it is, it is about creating that emotional connection for us. So really quickly, so obviously you have this problem, a challenge really, yep. where you guys have these immersive experiences, you guys have Rolls Royces, life-side life-size giraffes, all this type of stuff. So then the challenge you had was communicating that in a very quick 15, 30, 60 second. Yes. Right? So what, what I'm most impressed about, and, and give everyone a quick you know, summary of one of the ads, yep. how you actually deploy that. So we've spoken about yep. storytelling. We've spoken about the story that the Playscapes offer. Yep. But what was impressive, how you did it in an ad. So talk yeah. to us about one of those examples. And you had, your, you had your son in one of them too, actually. And myself, I was the guest star of one of them. We actually shot one of them in my garage at home. Um, uh, yeah, set the scene. Yeah, so um, we, we really wanted to show the, the reflection, I guess. Like, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you get later into your life, uh, often people say, you can't take your money with you. You can't take anything with you when you go. What do you have? You have your memories and your legacy. And so that, that emotion of reflecting on my past, it's obviously quite important. And, and you know, in one of the ads, what we did was we kind of had it set up that it was a, a motorbike uh, mechanic or you know, more of a at-home motorbike mechanic, a weekend warrior for want of a better term. And he, which is myself, is sitting there fixing away the motorbike and then he breaks something and he gets frustrated and he throws the, throws the spanner on the floor and he goes and he pulls out this old rag from his back pocket and he goes to wipe his face with it. And as he wipes his face with it, he looks at the rag and has this flashback memory. And the, the rag incites this memory of him being a small child, which is played by my son, uh, in one of the centers, in one of our playscapes, playing with a real motorbike with a real spanner. Now, obviously, they can't take the bike apart. It's all sealed. But the, the idea of playing with the real tools on real objects has obviously then impacted that small child. And then later on in his life, he, he's had a frustrating moment. An educator comes along and tells him, you know, it's okay, we'll help, we'll work together. What are you trying to fix? It's the educator coming in who is part of the educational experience because we believe in three educators, which is the educator, the child, and the environment, which is a big, big important thing for us. So they've gone, they've interacted with all three areas, and then it flashes back to 
the modern day, which is myself. And then it's like, you know what? I can do this. I can fix it. I can, I can move forward. And the object, the whole idea of the object is that, or the whole idea of the ad is that it is showing that resilience starts at an early age of life and that we really wanted to carry that through. I know know I'm being biased, but I challenge anyone to find a better ad for childcare. And usually (laughs) childcare, they don't have huge budgets. They don't do these big productions. Yeah. The, yeah, I, I'll, I'll end it then. You guys also had one where there was a pilot and it was authentic. Like you said, the yep. plane, the motorbike, this is stuff you guys have in the actual centers. Yep. So you're showing that third teacher, you're showing the, how that learning begins there and where it goes to. I love it. Yeah. Amazing stuff. And we'll link to it in the show notes. A lot yep. of fun. So one thing that uh, when I met you um, that I was really impressed quite early on is your love for the idea of design thinking. Yep. And it's actually, it's funny. It's something that is so powerful, but marketers either they're not really trained on it classically or they don't really, I mean, some marketers like yourself do pick it up, but talk to us about design thinking Mm -hmm. and the power of it or the importance of it in marketing. Sure. Um, Again, going back in my history, the the first time I encountered design thinking was at Fuji Xerox and they actually held a whole session there. And I remember we had, um, I was lucky enough to be included in the group because at that point in my career, I was still quite, quite wet behind the ears. It was my very first corporate job in marketing anyway. And um, I was invited along to come to these sessions. And I was lucky enough to be paired up with at the time, it was the managing director of the business. And so I think going through thinking about memories and impacts, all of that had a big impact on me because here I am as this young guy paired up with the managing director of a almost billion dollar company at that point in time in Australia, just Australia alone. Um, and I guess it was it was real eye-opening experience for me. I mean, design thinking, if, if you don't know what it is, and I'm, mm, I know yeah. you do, but for, for the sake of everyone else, it essentially came out of the need to create products that are customer-centric. So it puts the customer first in what they're designing in, in order to deliver something that is really attractive for the customer. Um, when I did it, though, I had this, I, I, had this, I guess, you know, and I, I'm sure many marketers have gone through this. So I'm definitely not the only one. But, you know, I went through this point of why, why can't we just apply this to marketing? Because I know marketing often we're at the end of the funnel and we get, we get handed a product and it's kind of like, hey, sell this, a kids club. And, and in, basically in every brand I've ever worked for, I've been really lucky to work with high quality products. And it's not been, a, it's not been something that I've had to like change too much or, or, or I guess force any influence on. Mm. I had really great products. I had really great advantage of that. But um, you know, when, when when it comes to like delivering a message, how are we doing it to create it for the customer rather than making a message where we think, oh, okay, this is going to be, you know, oh, sorry, as marketers, we often think this is going to be, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. Like, you know, I'm going to launch this campaign, future past, it's going to be great, yada, yada, yada. But then we don't think about the mechanics of what makes the customer tick. Um, one of my favorite areas of design thinking, we were talking about this, um, you know, a while ago as well, was um, how might we? And I love that. I love that whole exercise yeah. within design thinking, where we, you know, where they celebrate some things that might be considered a failure, but how do you turn that around into a success? And in the in the Stanford version of their of their design thinking program, where they've got these things called mixtapes, in one of those mixtapes, they have a thing called "How Might We?" And I love the topic. They, they're talking about an ice cream, like like selling ice cream in an ice cream parlor, and they one of the questions it says is. How might we celebrate the success of a, of a dripping ice cream cone? Like, so like, you know, normally that's a sad experience. You know, you see the ice cream run off your hand, it drips on the floor and you're like, oh man, disappointing. I just lost some of my ice cream. Your kid's crying, then you're crying because your kid's crying. 
it's not a fun experience. So I love that idea that they're they're kind of like put, putting the whole idea on its head of saying, right, how do how do we make that a fun experience for people? How do we make how do we make waiting in queues exciting? How do I take a topic that most people go, I can't wait to get out of school, like education, and turn that into an emotional experience? How do we turn something that is a commodity like childcare, early childhood education? It is everywhere. It's it's a necessity and everyone has it. How do we make that interesting and engaging and worthwhile for the customers to give us their time? Mm. Because their time is valuable. So I don't want to waste their time. I want to create a great message. So that was really, you know, design thinking plays a big aspect in all of those areas, but, but particularly linking it back to future past. Yeah, design thinking played a big part in like how do we package that for the customer. So is there a simple way a marketer could take, say, a problem and then tr- obviously, like you say, you know, you don't always have that luxury of being involved in the product yep. uh, or the service or whatever. So how could a marketer use that type of thinking if you had to sort of distill it in a couple of tips? How could I use design thinking to approach a marketing problem? Yeah, sure. Remove yourself from the situation. Like I was just literally having this conversation with a colleague today. We often stand, we're we're often so close to the problem, we can't even see it. You need to take a step back and don't take it from your viewpoint. We really have to put on the customer's lens and we have to not assume anything about the customer, but relearn the customer again. So spend your time, even if you think you know your customer, they've probably evolved. And by the time you figured out who your customer is, they've probably evolved again. So spend a lot of time really understanding, investigating, and working directly with your customer to find out exactly what they want. It's mm. something that, you know, and like we do it all the time. I, I fail to do it as often as I would like, and it is time consuming, but we do need to spend time putting the customer at the forefront. Once you put the customer at the forefront, you then have that time to go away and really digest on what they have. Involve other people, create ideation, which is one of my favorite things. Ideate, saturate, and group. It is like one of the key things for me that I love. The idea of just putting post-it notes everywhere. You have lots of ideas. You're saturating the wall and then you're grouping them into like topics. The best thing about doing it is it gives you a visual representation of what you know you've gotten from the customer and what you believe to be important based on your findings. Once you've got all of that, you can start creating something small. Don't go full on. A lot of the times in marketing, we get really excited and we go, I know this idea is going to work. Is it? The better idea to do is to take it, start small, present that to your focus group, to your target audience, get the feedback. Because I guarantee you in whatever you do, there's going to be one thing or a few things that they look at and they go, that doesn't really resonate with me. So you go back, you tweak, relaunch, test, see what the market says. Until you're getting that general wide acceptance on your activity, then you can roll it out to a much wider audience. And I think that's really it. Customers, go away and percolate, test, launch. I love this. So much to unpack there. One thing I want to touch on there is you spoke about like directly with the customers. And we might have people listening who are either like maybe they're startups, big organizations. I don't think that point is lost. You can still talk to your customers. Like one thing that uh, and there's a lot of strategies out there. One thing you and I have spoken about is Adele Ravella, and she talks about bio-narratives, yep. which is a framework for interviewing your customers. doesn't matter what you use, but actually speaking to them. I think marketers, I have this real bugbear and pain point with persona documents. Yep. We're going to sit in our ivory towers, find a HubSpot, make my persona template. And, you know, they're age 35 to 47 <laughs> and they watch Days of Our Lives. Who gives a shit? <laughs> so I, I love what you said, actually speaking to them. That there's so much there. But I want to change gears a little bit now and, 
obviously you've led teams of considerable size. You're a CMO yep. and, you know, they're the, that you're always going to have those type of roles when you're um, trying to attract talent where you're yep. trying to motivate people. So I guess the question is, and this might be for leaders as well as marketers themselves, in this day and age, how do you attract and also keep marketing talent? Because yep. it's one of those industries where it's just a bit of a revolving door, especially right now after COVID. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I think you you, you said, and we, we you know we've mentioned a few times, and it, and it hit the nail on the head is I hear I hear CMO and then I freak out. Like I think you, you go back to that what what you were saying. You go about oh ivory tower, that's the CMO. Don't approach them. You want to attract people, be approachable. Don't lock yourself off. You're not. You, I get it. Like you, you do have to sometimes close the door and get the work done. Deep you work. are going to be the person that's going to probably hang around and get stuff done in the afternoons, evenings, nights, early mornings. You you are in that position because 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 you're in that position of authority. You have not just the authority, but it's the responsibility. So when we're thinking about things like when we're thinking about things like um, attracting the right people, I always always go back to like what was it that like attracted me to an organization? What was it that like made something appealing for me? And I think about like some of the great bosses I've had in the past, and and like I, I could I could shout out so many people from. Can, can I shout out a few people? Hundred like, percent. Yeah, Ritesh Patak from Fuji Xerox. Um, I think about Stuart Marnie from Turbo Smart. I think about you, Corey Stone from Kids Club. I think about oh man, there, there is like it's the, the list is endless. I like I I think about Brad Stevens from. I want to thank from, the Academy playing you. Like <laughs> these guys, like they they all of them. They, they all did something to encourage or influence my leadership style. Even like even guys that I just touch point with at Fuji Xerox, um, you know, and, and I think about those guys as well. What, what about their leadership style impacted me? It was always their enthusiasm. I always liked the way that like they fed off their energy and they were never like closed door guys. Like Corey, it, he's the guy that will throw on the overalls, go to the center and fix whatever needs fixing. Um, Stuart from TurboSmart, Stu, I don't, I don't know if he wants me to call him Stuart, but Stu from TurboSmart is the type of guy that would like literally go down to the engineering area and help the engineering guys. Ritesh would jump in with the sales guys, with the marketing guys, with the product guys. They were very open. And I think that like having that type of mentality does attract a particular type of person and it, and it helps people feel welcomed and inviting. The next thing for me is, is honesty. I'm no BS. Like, I don't like pulling any punches and I like trying to be direct with people. Not in a rude way like, hey man, I don't like your shirt or like whatever it is, but it, it, in that way of like, look, this is what we're going through. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what we need to work towards a solution. Um, vulnerability plays a big key, I think. I think the more leaders that step into, I guess, step out of that safe space of being guarded and step more into a space of vulnerability, it creates a human element for them. And that, I think, breeds more open communication with your team. And that does help people uh, feel more comfortable in their workspace. Like you said before, you, um, employee engagement isn't on a calendar. It's not the, we're going out for lunch this week, where, you know, we're, we're going to go down to Friday the pub drinks. that night. Yeah, it's not Friday drinks. It's not forming an indoor soccer team. It's, it's not even the Christmas party. It's about creating an ongoing, sustainable culture where people feel comfortable to come to work uh, and it's and you know it's not always about setting off the streamers and like I, I I can think about a number of times where I where I where I've had my own success celebrated when I've seen other people's success celebrated, but 
they, they, they aren't the memories that I look back on and like really smile. The memories I look back on and smile at are when I think to myself, man, remember when my boss gave up his time to help me with this? Remember when they took the time to be honest with me and open and create a dialogue? That for me, I think is like the main things. Yeah. It, you, on, in this podcast, you refer to a lot of uh, traits that successful leaders and organizations have. Yep. You mentioned vision, which... You know, these, they, sometimes they call them bags, big, hairy, yep. audacious goals. Yep. That's a common thread. You've spoken about some more common threads now. Like, and I can't remember who might have been Uber or some other business where like the main guy is actually jumping on custom service calls. Yeah, yeah. Just like Corey's oh. getting on the tools. And, Man, and at, and at the time, you know, like it's, yeah, when you're living in it, you don't respect it. And I think smart leaders, they have the consciousness to know that they can, it's so easy for them to be removed. It's so easy to get caught up on profit and loss statements and just Absolutely. speaking with other C-suiters. Yeah. And, you know, so people like that, they make a conscious effort to have their E to the ground. And I really love that. I respect that yep. in the engagement thing. So I think there's like three, four things there that is a common thread. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then shout, shout out to shout out to my old bosses if I never seemed like I appreciated at the time. But in retrospect, looking back, I'm always like, man, they did a lot. You yeah. know, like, and it's, it's easy to say it when you're not at the top. Top. It's easy to say it when you're, when, when you're, when you're sort of sitting in it, but when you get out of it, you look back, you say, oh man, they did like heaps. There was a conscious effort there. Absolutely. And shout yeah. out even to the bad ones too. You know, we learned uh, the difference. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think, no, the no point, shout outs to them. A frame of reference. <laughs> yeah, a frame of reference. Uh, cool. Okay, awesome. So um, I want to have a little bit of funny. So talk to me about your pet peeves. What are some of your pet peeves in marketing? We we spoke about this very recently, uh, a few weeks ago. And like, I was just like, man, I'm starting to get to the point where like I want, I want to put my LinkedIn profile to private. I am so tired of being hit up with the constant, can I just have 15 minutes of your time? If I could just show you where you're going wrong in your marketing. I've done this 20-point survey and I've assessed your business and determined that you need seven of these fixed. Man, like A, it's insulting, right? Like don't come to me and be like, you're doing all these things wrong. Like, I'm not a child. This isn't 1980s marketing. You can't tell me I'm the problem and that you're the solution. It doesn't work like that. Secondly, I'm pretty loyal and like I'm red pandas till I die, right? Like we, we've worked closely enough together. I don't say that just because we, we developed a relationship, but because I know that when I talk to you, it's an element of trust. And I know that we will work the problem until it's solved. And that is something that I will immensely respect forevermore. So when some SEO company comes to me telling me, hey, your metadata is not up to date, I'm thinking to myself, man, most of that stuff makes about a 2% impact to everything that we work on. If I spent 30% of my time just to fix the 2%, I'll miss out on all the other things that are going to really actually impact my business. So don't even start me. Lastly, no, you can't have 15 minutes of my time. I'm busy. Don't just say to me, can I have 15 minutes of your time? You need to tell me what it is that you're actually going to do. I actually don't mind it when someone just sends me a little bit of an information pack and says, hey, I know that this is a sales message. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I apologize for bothering you. Here's a little bit of an information pack on who I am and what I do. And if you've got any questions, I'll be right here waiting for you. That's what I like. But this, this, this constant sales hit up, man. I think, I think I put up a LinkedIn post recently. I'm like, man, LinkedIn salespeople, stop being so damn thirsty. I was like, it's just hard. I see it every day and I'm like, haven't you guys learned? You know, 15 minutes or oh, oh, let me buy your coffee. 
coffee's I know we have inflation but coffee's are not that expensive I can afford my own $7.50 cup of coffee thank you very <laughs> yeah. much you know like my small takeaway latte for seven eight nine dollars I'm okay with that yeah it doesn't work I, and even there you're dropping some gems right like and I've heard a sales strategist talk about this as well hey it's a sales call maybe we can help maybe we can't here's some stuff you know, just be like, be honest and obvious. People are not stupid. Love be, that. Be friendly. You know what I mean? Like just, I, I would much prefer that someone comes along, they introduce themselves. If they're straight up with me, I much prefer that. Honesty is the best policy. Like I said before, what, what do I look for in a leadership? What do I hope my team sees me in a leader? Honesty, be straightforward. There's no point beating around the bush. You sometimes just need to take the bandaid off. Not in a rude way, but you just need to be straightforward so people know what they're dealing with. It's the same thing with the sales approach. 100%. So we're coming up to time, but I'd love to sort of talk about this. Obviously, uh, I know you quite well. I know you personally as well. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I've sort of been inspired by yourself, like you, you've always been very vocal around mental health and yep. that type of stuff. And yep. I think now it's becoming kind of mainstream, but um, you've always been like that. You've always been very honest and vocal around like mental health for yourself or for your team yep. and never shied away from it. So, you know, Briefly, without going, you know, like uh, without revealing more than you want to. Sure. Talk to me about your personal challenges and how have you dealt with mental health? What's, yep. what's helped you, you know, like have some semblance of balance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I'm, I'm pretty open about my journey. I don't, I don't really shy away from it. I often, I heard someone speak a while ago and they were talking about like, don't ever look back on your past as like this disappointing, dirty shame you should hide. It's look back on it and celebrate where you are today. And like, I've gone through some real struggles with my own mental health. Um, probably about three years ago, it was at its worst. And I, I was having very dark thoughts. And I really encourage anybody, if you're going through that, reach out for help. There are a number of ways you can do that. You can do that through Helpline. And I, I really, I do encourage you to talk to those guys. I think that, you know, there's this, particularly like in some industries I've worked in, there's this real stigma around being manly. You know, that you're um, weak if you don't. Yeah, and if you don't talk, like if oh, talking about it is like a weakness. Mm. Okay, well, if you don't talk about it, eventually there'll just be nothing but silence. And that's scary. I've, I've lost friends to mental health. I've lost family to mental health. Um, and so for me, going through that period in my life, um, I, I don't ever want to get back there again. So for myself personally, the, the way that I, I kind of, I guess, I came out of it uh, was I reached out to people and I spoke to them about it. Um, I spoke to my wife about it um, and I spoke to uh, I spoke to my parents and my and in particular my father-in-law uh, as well. And did, you, did you say you saw someone as well? Uh, I have, yeah, yeah. I actually saw which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw a doctor um, to to start talking to them about it. Um, I I think that um, you know through through that journey. You know, the doctor was great, gave me some tools, but I, we, we talk about this in marketing. Why can't we talk about it in mental health? Not every solution works for everybody. Um, and for me, it was really about taking that step back and going, right, what works for me? How do I identify the triggers for things that might cause any negative thoughts or negative thought patterns or any spiraling behavior? And how do I identify that before it becomes worse? I'm not saying I'm an expert at it. I'm not even saying I'm perfect at it. I still go through the struggles now. But one of the things I found that really helped me and I, and I want to encourage other people because I, like you read so much stuff and you think that'll never work for me and I was exactly the same. But I journal. I literally write down what I'm thinking about, what I'm going through and then I write down the things that I'm grateful for. I know in tonight's journal, I'm going to be like grateful for podcasts with Moby. 
Um, but you know, when, when I when I when I people might think, oh, that's a bit weird. You journal. I know that's traditionally a very uh, effeminate thing to do. Dear diary, but, not at you all. Know, yeah. Dear diary, yeah. successful people do. But for me, I look at that in reflection and in retrospect. And then if I if I have a really bad day. I go back and I'm, I'm honest when I write like I am with most people. I'm like, I've written out how bad that day is. When I'm in the future and I'm looking back, I see how far I've come. So for me, it's not about just necessarily getting it out of my mind. It's about creating a, a journey, which is what we've been talking Your about story, so much during yeah. this podcast. It's my story. Now, when I look back, I go, right, what was I going through at that time? And I also note what I was still grateful for at that time. And then I note, how did I get out of it? So for me, it's, it's a matter of reflection. Um, but I, I really advise people, if you're struggling, you need to reach out to somebody. Don't keep it in. And, and you're going to hear it all the time, particularly like just, just yesterday was Are You OK yeah, Day. Yeah. So it's very topical. And I loved your little, your little snippet on LinkedIn. I, um, I saw it pop up as I was just getting in my car to go home. I'm like, ah, oh, moves. So funny. But, um, you know, like, and it, made, it cheered me up. I was like, you know, that, that, just that little interaction was so cool. I loved it. But uh, if you haven't seen it, go, go check it out on his LinkedIn, right? Um, but uh, yeah, go talk to someone. That's, that's the first Is there step. any, um, and then we're, we're over time, but I'm just enjoying this so much. Is there, sure. is there any rules you live by? Like, is there any sort of, you've gone through that journey, like, okay, yep. you know, compartmentalizing or not working too late or yep. working out, or is there any rules that you found that have been really fundamental in your mental yep. health? Absolutely. Find something you're passionate about. For me, um, I, I love, I love American football. I, I still play. Go the Giants. The, I, I know. No, do not go with the Giants. <laughs> um, I won't say who I go for. Um, uh, but yeah, I found something that I'm passionate about. It helps me focus. Um, and, and for me, when I'm, when I'm training with those guys and when I'm on the field playing, nothing else matters. Before that, it actually used to be motorbike riding. Although um, after having kids, I decided to, to, to do that a lot less. Um, but, but getting out there and, and, you know, I guess being on the field, I can't focus on anything else other than mm. that. So find something you're passionate about, you know, it might be building a, a hobby car, it might be gardening, it might be walking the dog, it might just be reading books. Um, find something you're passionate about and engage yourself in that. It's something for yourself. Being yeah, a, it's absolutely. It, it, selfish is seen, especially like we're both dads, Yeah. but something for yourself. We're so there for other people. You're a CMO, you're there for your team, you're there for everyone, you're there for your parents, you're there for your kids, your wife, whatever. Yeah. But I like what you said, that it's something for yourself. Yeah. It, it, and it's, it's like I, I've thrown myself into it so much because I love it, but because also it's, it's that thing that like at the end of the week, I get to look forward to. On a Saturday, I get to take the field with my brothers and, and it really is a brotherhood and I get to play against strong competition and I get to test my mettle. Against like, young, young bucks. Yeah, mate, against the young kids that are like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I've got one good knee and no back, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's still fun. I think that, that's probably one of the cores. And then the only other thing I'd say is um, when we were talking about vision before, it's important in your own life to not only set the vision for where you're going in your life and what it is that you want to achieve, but also to write out what makes you special. This, this whole thought, and I remember someone talking to me about it a long time ago, um, and they, they mentioned this positive reinforcement, like giving yourself positive reinforcement. And I was like, man, that's garbage. That's, that's just real kooky. And this, that, the next thing. But when you, when you start to talk positively to yourself and you set a routine of doing that, it actually changes your mindset. And so that negative thinking that still creeps in because we all have it. We, there's these things called intrusive thoughts and we have them all the time. And it's completely natural to have them. You're not weird. It's completely normal. 
But when we have those thoughts, if you're practicing the positive engagement enough, the self-positive talk, eventually that will override and it will kick out all the negative stuff that goes on in your head. Um, look, I think that, that, like I said, there's no one silver bullet. So the, the first step I always recommend is go talk to someone, experiment, find what kind of works for you. But um, yeah, they're, they're kind of the keys for me. Amazing. James, this has been a lot of fun, very insightful. Even though I've uh, known you for years, I've still learned a lot today. So I really appreciate that. Any final thoughts, any passing thoughts before we, we wrap it up? Uh, no, don't do drugs and stay in school. Um, <laughs> no, not really. Um, thank you for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, um, you've obviously been a, like, I'd just like to wrap it up by saying that, uh, you know, you're, you're a huge influence on me as well. So as much as this has been uh, exciting for you, I'm sure, because, you know, um, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful privilege for me and I'm, I'm really happy to be here and thank you for having me on the show. Amazing, amazing. James, thank you for coming on today. Uh, we'll also link your uh, LinkedIn in the show notes as well and keep doing what you're doing. It's very inspiring to watch. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inbound Buzz. Learn anything? Return the favor by spreading the word. Want to make your mark in digital? Need help with your digital strategy, inbound, and marketing automation efforts? Then visit redpandas.com.au and be sure to tune in next time for another Inbound Buzz hit.